This will be different, but we will jump and roll, jump and roll. Happy Thanksgiving. I don't know about y'all, but this is my favorite holiday. This is the only holiday that we have that pretty much allows gluttony. And I am so thankful. <laughs> I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful that they make belts that adjust. I'm thankful that they make waistbands that stretch. I'm thankful that they made dressing. Whoever come up with that, God bless your heart. Um, you are, there's a special place in heaven for you. But as Tommy said, I am also thankful for the church as well. And um, part of the message today is about why I am thankful for the church. Because what I'm talking about today is one of the things that brought me back to the church. Um, but before we get started in that, I want to I tell you all something that I seen this week that was absolutely amazing. This week we got the opportunity to go help serve Thanksgiving dinner at the primary school. And I know some people think, well, how's that an opportunity? It was a great opportunity because y'all know I watch people. I can't help it. I like watching people. You find out all kinds of things by observing people. You find out things about them. But as I sit there and I watch these kids run to their parents to get in line to go get this meal. And then I watched them sit down together at a table. I'm going to be honest with you. A little bit of hope built in my heart. But at the same time that that hope built in my heart, there was also a little bit of sadness that built in my heart too. Because I couldn't help but wonder as I watched these parents sit down with their kids thinking, how often does this happen? How often does it happen that parents and children take the time to sit down and eat with one another? Now, it's a huge thing in my family. We try to do it every night. Every night that daddy's there, we try to sit down together and eat dinner together. And the reason we do this is because togetherness brings hope. Togetherness brings hope, and isolation brings despair. That's something that we learned over the last couple of years through pandemic. Isolation is a dangerous tool that is used by Satan. Satan will do anything in the world to isolate his church, or uh, God's church, from each other. And I want you to understand something today. Today's message is not evangelistic. Today's message is for the church. Last week we started talking about exercising your hope and how hope is something that we don't think of that needs to be exercised. We started off in uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, started off in verse 19, and we're going to go back and read it again together. But there's something that I needed to say last week that I didn't say because I'll be honest with you, I've been accused of preaching two good sermons and one message, so I'm trying to cut back a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot to say in this book, that's all I'll say. But hope is the product of our faith. Let me repeat that again. Hope is the product of our faith. And even though our faith, even though our hope is the product of our faith, if we exercise our hope, we actually build our faith. 
They're important. They're important parts of our life. What we believe holds us where we are. But our hope gives us something to look forward to. In verse 22 of chapter 10, he said, let us draw near. And in verse 27, uh, 23, he said, let us hold fast. He's talking about faith and hope in these things. And these two things are extremely important in the walk of a Christian to continue to build. Faith, yes, it does come from God, but there is still a part that we have to play in this. We know that our hope comes from God. It says in verse 23 at the end of it, because he who promised is faithful. But hope, when we think of it in a biblical concept, is not what the world thinks of as hope. Because biblical hope is knowing. Let me repeat that one more time. Biblical hope is knowing. I don't guess where my eternity is. I know where my eternity is. I don't have to guess if I'm going to stand before God in judgment for the sins that I have committed. I know that my sins were paid for on the cross. There are things that hope brings that us as Christians really, really need to grasp a hold of. But when we think of worldly hope, it's nothing more than a guessing game. Man, I hope it's going to be pretty tomorrow. In my case, I hope it's going to snow four feet tomorrow. I know I can go to New York and get it, but still, I'm in Blairsville and I want it here. Praying hard, guys. Y'all better outpray me. That's all I can say. But in the second part of this scripture, it shows us. It shows us very much so that we have a huge part to play in exercising our hope. And guys, I want to read the whole thing because I want to keep it in context, but we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 19 through 25 again. But listen carefully to what he says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, first, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us, in other words, what he's saying is, let us hold on to what we know is true. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Third, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, this morning has already been heard. Father, I just want you to know how thankful I am. For this ecclesia, for this assembled body, 
for this church that has poured into my life in so many different ways over my 45-year expanse here on earth. Father, I'm thankful for the people that are here this morning. But I'm also thankful for the people who will be watching online as well. I'm thankful, Lord, that I have the opportunity to share this word with them, this word of encouragement, this word of hope. But, Father, it is my main prayer that this morning they would hear straight from you. And, Father, I know I've got lots of things that I want to say. But please, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us as a church this morning. Father, we are so thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has made atonement for our sins. It's because of that shed blood we have hope. That hope, Lord, builds our faith. And for that, we are forever grateful. So this morning, Lord, speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be focusing in verses 24 and 25. We will be bouncing over to Luke chapter 19 just to give you a little heads up because I want you to see an example of what he is talking about here. The first thing he says in verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. This statement is extremely loaded with two words. Two words. Two words that if you read them for what the Greek and Hebrew say will completely blow your mind about what's being said. Because the first word is considered. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek word that is here. I'm not a Greek professor. I don't want you to be enamored by what I know and how I can speak. But I do want you to know that this word consider has a strong meaning that we need to consider. It means to observe something or someone. It means to study someone, someone, or a subject. So the first thing the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that we need to consider, and who? We need to consider each other. Why is it that we need to consider each other? Well, one, it's not being selfish, but that again is not what he's talking about. What he is saying is we need to examine each other. And the reason we need to examine each other is because, let's just be honest, everybody in this room is different. I can say one thing to one of you and it would mean something, and I could say it to somebody else and it would mean something completely different. This happened to me years ago in youth ministry. Around senior time, around uh, graduation time, you know, the senior pictures always come out. And I was looking through some of the senior pictures. And I saw one of my students. And this lady, I'm not kidding you, she is one of the most photogenic people I have ever met. And I know a photogenic person when I see them because I am not photogenic at all. I look better in person than in a picture. My wife says I have what's called a Chandler smile. For those who watch Friends, you know what it means? 
When I see a camera, I don't know why it is, I just tense up because I know that that image could give somebody an impression of me forever. So I tense up around a camera. It's hard for me to relax. But this young lady was completely relaxed in, a, in her uh, photo. And it showed, but she really was. She was one of the most photogenic, photogenic people I had ever met. And I told her, I said, honey, I just got to tell you, your picture, your senior picture is absolutely beautiful. You're one of the most photogenic people I've ever met. And it made her day. Fast forward a couple of years later, the same thing happened. Another young lady in the youth ministry had her senior picture, and it was the same way. You could tell that she was just relaxed in front of the camera. It didn't bother her, and her, her picture was absolutely beautiful. And I even told her, I said, I just want you to know, I think you're an extremely photogenic person. She looks at me and says, what do you mean, I'm ugly in person? Say what? Do you think I'm ugly in person? Do you think I look better in pictures than I do in person? And I was like, that is not what I said. But I learned real quick, when I'm talking to this individual, I have to watch what I say and how I say it. I've learned the same thing with my boys. It is funny how different twins can be. Colton is absolutely spurred forward when I praise him. When I tell him he's done a good job, man, I can't wait till the boy gets weed eaten because I won't tell him he, get a, he did a good job whether he did or not because if you tell him that he did a good job, he's going to go back and he's going to do it even more and I'll never have to weed eat again. <laughs> Block this from your mind. Don't listen. But if I do the same thing to Dalton... If I go up to Dalton and say, Dalton, you did a great job. He'll look at me, go get his tablet and say, you want to play fishdom? <laughs> For those who haven't played fishdom, don't. It's addictive. It is a horribly addictive game and you'll never be able to put it down. But while Colton thrives on praise, Dalton thrives with time. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to spend time with his mama. And when he spends time with his mama and his daddy, he thrives. Colton, good job. He'll knock out the world. Dalton, time. Everybody is different. Every single body in this congregation is different. From our views, from our opinions, from everything in our life, we are all different. And when the writer of this is saying, consider what he's telling the people of Hebrews is to examine each person. This is tough. This is tough. Especially when you've got a congregation of 130 here on a Sunday, but then you look at the numbers and there's over 300 people to minister to through the week. It gets tough. But this is what the writer is saying for all of us. We all need to examine each other. And why do we need to examine each other? 
We need to examine each other so we can do something that's really, really hard. And you know what that is? Be intentional. Be intentional. Being intentional is an extremely hard thing for me. Because you've got to think about what you say. You've got to think about what you do. And thinking's not my strong suit. Yes, I like watching people. But there's no filter when it comes out of what comes out of my mouth. I wish there was. There's days that I have to pray, God, put your hand over my shoulder and your other hand across my mouth because I know I'm going to say something that's going to tick somebody off. But he is urging us to consider each other, to examine each other. And he's asking us to do it so that we can stimulate one another. And this is another word that, if you really look at it, it's kind of crazy of what it really means. The word stimulate here actually means to provoke. It means to cause into spasm. As I've got older, I've learned that there's certain things that my body cannot do. If I bend over, I can't twist at the same time. If I do, my back's going to go snap and I'm going to be in the bed for two weeks with uh, muscle spasms. Any of you ever had muscle spasms? They are the most aggravating thing in the world, are they not? Because nothing in the world can stop those muscles from twitching. And you'll be dead asleep at night and those muscles will stop twitching and it will wake you right out of your sleep. So what the writer is saying here, now listen to this. What the writer is saying here is he's saying intentionally cause people to spasm or intentionally provoke people. Now, if he were to left it right here, we could close the book, pray, and go on because we're good at provoking people. Are we not? I'm a button pusher. If I find out something aggravates somebody... Oh, man, I'm not going to let it go. I learned this morning that Nathan Saunders doesn't like for people to wink at him. Where's he at? Oh, he's downstairs. Nathan, I know you can see me on the camera. I am a button pusher. I can't help it. When you grow up with cousins like I did, we learn to push each other's buttons. And this is something that all of us can gravitate to naturally. Just like I was talking about with the boys. The boys can naturally push each other's buttons. They know what makes each other mad. But that's not where the writer leaves this off. Because look at what he says. He says, intentionally provoke each other or aggravate each other to what? To love and to good deeds. The reason this is so significant is because love and good deeds is really not natural to us. Love and good deeds aggravates our true sinful being. Because love and good deeds 
is expressed to other people and not ourselves. One of the greatest stories in all of the Bible that shows an example of how you spur someone to love and good deeds is actually found in Luke chapter 19. And you can turn to it or you can follow along on the screen. But most of you know the story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And it's the story of how when Jesus was entering Jericho, that Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the chief chief tax collector, this means he was the tax collector who had tax collectors underneath him. So he was even more hated than anybody else. Hears about Jesus and desires to see Jesus. But look at what it says here. Starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is talking about Jesus. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich. It's bad enough that he was a tax collector, but he had to be rich on top of it. So this made a lot of people hate him, extremely hate him. But it goes on to say that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd. That's very important to note right there. For he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass the way. Now again, I told you I like to observe people. So as I tear apart the Bible, I try to examine what's going on in the people. And not just the people, that's being named here, Zacchaeus, but also the crowd around him. If they would have not said, if they would have not said that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, even from what we've read, you could see that he was not a locked individual. And I know some of you are like, how do you get that? If you ever walk into a room with a, crowded, with a big crowd of people and you're watching something, say you're watching a concert, say you're watching somebody speak, say, I don't know, but say you're watching a play. And if everybody is standing and there are people that are shorter, what is naturally going to be done to those shorter people? Naturally, because of who we are, we're going to move them to the front are we not we want everybody to see what's going on but this didn't happen for Zacchaeus nobody moved out of the way he was small in stature he was a short man and nobody moved out of the way this man was so despised and so hated that no one was even willing to step aside and let Zacchaeus through just so he could see Jesus So what does Zacchaeus do? He goes on up the road from what it says. And he climbs up into a sycamore tree. So he can see Jesus. When people are not accepted by other people, one of the natural reactions for an individual is to isolate. If we ever walk into a room 
and we feel like we're not welcome, are we going to try to interact with other people? No. It's just something inside of us. Whether you're extrovert or introvert, it doesn't matter. If you walk into a room to where you know you're not liked, you are going to withdraw. And that's what is exactly what Zacchaeus did. And this is exactly what Jesus saw. Jesus saw not only that Zacchaeus was lost and in need of Savior, he also saw that Zacchaeus was isolated. Goes on to say, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, wouldn't that have flipped you out if you climbed up in a tree to see somebody you've never met and they call you by name? Think about that for a minute. Hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. This had to completely rattle Zacchaeus. You want to know why? Nobody wanted to go to Zacchaeus's house. Nobody ever wanted to go there. Matter of fact, if you ever had to go to Zacchaeus' house, it was probably because you were going to make a payment of tax. So nobody wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. And listen, listen to what happens then. And he hurried and came down and received him, talking about Jesus, gladly. And when they, the people, saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He is going to be at the guest of a man. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You want to know what's crazy about this statement? The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. The Bible tells us that every single person on this earth is a sinner. So this is really an issue of the pot calling the kettle black. Kind of funny, isn't it? But what takes place next is amazing. And I'm trying not to put too much into the, what's being said here. But I don't hear or see it written that Jesus said much else to Zacchaeus at all. Do you? Now, naturally, I know there was interaction. But just from the response of Jesus noticing him, look at what happens. And this is after the people said this. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has not come to seek, and, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost.
Zacchaeus was already a part of the family. You get what I'm saying? It says he is of the house of Abraham. He's already part of the family. But something else happened. Jesus observed Zacchaeus. He considered Zacchaeus. He noticed Zacchaeus. He acknowledged Zacchaeus. He looked for Zacchaeus. And simply because Jesus did this, the man's heart was completely changed forever. Again, I'm not reading too much into it or not trying to put something into it. But the only time that anything is mentioned about Jesus' words and salvation is out of response to what Zacchaeus had already cited. An amazing thing happens when people are noticed. An amazing thing happens when people are acknowledged. An amazing thing happens when you call somebody by name. You know what it is? They know they matter. They know they matter. And when the writer of Hebrews is telling this to these people, listen to what he says again. He is telling them, let us consider how. Let us intentionally provoke one another to, <clears throat> to love and good deeds. Jesus did this very thing in Zacchaeus. He provoked Zacchaeus to love. He provoked Zacchaeus to good deeds. And you know, we talked about muscle spasms. You don't know the crazy thing about a muscle spasm? You can't stop it. And when you have a hope spasm like Zacchaeus did, you can't stop it. Nothing will stop it. Not your possessions, not your opinions, not your thoughts, not your political views. Not any of this will stop true, genuine hope. When Jesus acknowledges you. And you know what's amazing? Not only did Zacchaeus do, or not only did Jesus do this for Zacchaeus, he did this for us too. He acknowledged us. Well, first he noticed us, created us. He acknowledged us. And he called us by name. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we need to do the same thing to each other. In my 16 years of ministry, though, I've noticed one thing. It's hard to encourage people to love and good deeds if they're not present. And one thing I've got to give Zacchaeus credit for, 
Zacchaeus was present. Verse 25, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and he is speaking to the church. Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the next thing, couple of things that I'm going to say, I'm going to try to say, and I'm going to try not to be too critical. Because I get it. There are days that we can't attend when the church is meeting. There are sicknesses that come about. There are things that come about. But at the same time, I want you to realize what the word church really means. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. And that ekklesia has one meaning and one meaning only. And you know what that meaning is? Assembled people. It doesn't mean membership. It doesn't mean a house of worship. It doesn't mean a building. It means a group of people together. And I know, I've heard it many times from people. Well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say they're wrong. But I can tell you this. You can't be a Christian and not assemble. Why? Because when Jesus told Peter, upon this profession, I will build my church, my ecclesia, he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't Paul talking about a location. When he said, I will build my ecclesia, he was saying, upon that profession, I will build my assembled people. And for people to be encouraged, they have to be present. What bothers me the most is I see a lot of people, and I know over the last couple of years it's been hard with pandemic, online church, and all these things. But what hurts me the most is I see a lot of people playing a game of hide and seek with church. They don't come to church, and the first thing that they want to know is, why hasn't nobody called me? Any of y'all heard anybody say that? Why hasn't nobody called me? And I'm not going to say that their argument is completely wrong. I'm not. I'm not going to say that their argument is completely wrong. Because we could, should constantly be checking on each other. That is why I'm a huge advocate in small groups. Because I am a pastor who is trying to pastor, like I said, over 300 people. But if I get you plugged into a small group, you have a under-shepherd who's leading that group who is able to help me check on you more than I can. Think about it this way. Over 300 people. If I were to take one day a year to spend time with every single person, it would take me almost a whole year to get it done. But we treat church like a hide-and-seek game. How many of you like playing hide-and-seek? I loved it. 
I loved it and I was good at hiding. But you know what I didn't like? I didn't like waiting to be found. And matter of fact, after a while of waiting to be found, I would get bored. And you know what I'd do? I'd quit playing. When we play hide and seek with the church, eventually we'll get bored and we'll quit playing. The purpose of the assembled people ultimately is worship. But look what else the writer of Hebrews said the purpose of the assembled people is. It's encouragement. It's encouraging each other. And I'm going to be honest with you. This Thanksgiving, that's why I'm thankful for this church. Because there was a time in my life that I played in hide and seek with the church. Y'all been there too, hadn't you? Yeah, you started going to church for a while and then after so long, you know, you just thought, there's something else I can do. There's other people I can hang out with. And I went down that road. And you know what happened when I got away from the church? I didn't lose my faith. But I will tell you this. I did lose hope. I lost a lot of hope. I lost so much hope in my life and for my life that I turned to anything and everything that would numb me from feeling that hopelessness. There wasn't many things that were put before me that I wouldn't try just to numb the hopelessness in me. Through all that time, I had some very instrumental people in my life that never give up on me. They never give up hope on me. Miss Faye. Miss Josephine. Miss Joanne. Miss Graypell. Brother Farrell. Brother Junior. My mom. So many more that I can't even begin to name them. And it was about that time that I went to work for a gentleman. Went to work for a gentleman because, man, I'd done a job with him. Worked for my uncle for a little bit, and I went to work with this gentleman. His name was Jeff Kelly. And I'd be danged if that guy wasn't a deacon of Harmony Grove Baptist Church. And every week, Junior, he called me Junior because I liked Dell Junior at the time. Won't you come to church with us? Not this Sunday, Jeff. Junior, won't you come to church with us? Not this Sunday, Jeff. And I'm going to be honest with you. It went on for so long that I was getting aggravated. I was getting aggravated by him even asking me. Man, I just wanted to say so bad. Shut up. You go to church. I'll be in bed. 
but he never would stop. Kept asking me. And eventually, I come. Come back. And I met this other guy, this ball-headed guy who coached me one time, and I hated him as a coach. I absolutely hated him. There is no way that this man could be a Christian the way he coached ball. Come to Harmony Grove, he's here. What the heck is he doing here, Mama? And then he invited me to his house. Started going to his house. He seen I needed a, a girlfriend, so he signed me up for eHarmony. That wasn't funny, dude. <laughs> I had to get rid of that email because he signed me up for eHarmony. He says he didn't. I know he did. Aaron, watch out. You're probably next, brother. Sorry. But this gentleman by the name of Ricky Tanner would invite me over night after night after night to come watch the race, to come watch a game. And then I met this other guy by the name of Tommy. He's a little bit arrogant, but it's all right. And then I met all these other people. And all these other people kept encouraging me and encouraging me and encouraging me. And you know what that encouragement did? It aggravated me. And now, 20 years later, I'm seeing that what they were doing is exactly what we talked about today. They saw me. They acknowledged me. They noticed me. They stimulated me, aggravated me, just like a back spasm. And you know what? Because they did that, I'm here. Because they did that, I'm here. Because many of them did that, you're here. And we're here as an assembled people for the purpose of worshiping our Lord and Savior, but also for the purpose of keeping each other encouraged. Because there is nothing else in this world that is going to encourage you. The news, depressing. Social media, vulgar. The world, harsh. The church, Sinners who understand you. Sinners who know where you're at. Sinners who are crazy about Jesus because one day they figured out how crazy he was about them. So this week, you got a homework assignment. This week, I want you to encourage, stimulate, aggravate, Three groups of people. First one that I want you to aggravate, I want you to aggravate somebody younger than you. When I say aggravate, I mean encourage, okay? 
I want you to encourage somebody younger than you. And everybody says, well, why, why do you go with somebody younger than you? Because I can show you a biblical mandate where the older is to encourage the younger. But at the same time, I don't want you to stop there. I want you to encourage somebody in this congregation who is not only younger than you, I also want you to encourage somebody who's older than you. Youth, children, hear me out on something. This body of believers has acknowledged you. And they have acknowledged you to the point that you are in the top five, five, five items. I think you're number three. Of budgeted expenses. Not only is this body of believers putting their hope behind you, they're also putting their money in you. Acknowledge it. Don't take it for granted. Because I know many churches that their youth budget is less than $1,000 a year. And I am so thankful that we have a church that is willing to invest in the next generation to the point that they make them one of the highest line items on our budget. So encourage somebody who is older than you. But if you sit and you look around, every single body in here can think of somebody who is a believer and somebody who is not with us. Somebody who's not with anybody. Somebody because of things that happened in their life that they have isolated themselves. Maybe they didn't feel welcome at a church. I hear it all the time. Maybe they didn't feel like they were noticed at a church. I hear that all the time. Maybe they feel like they were forgotten at a church. I hear that way, way too often. Your third homework assignment Notice somebody who's isolated themselves. Pick up the phone. Call them. Get in the car. Go see them. And the reason I want you to do this is because I know what God has used this church to do in me. And I know God desires that same thing for so many others. There's some pastor who doesn't even know he's a pastor right now? Who's at home isolated? Why? Who knows? But he's a believer and he's a separated from God's assembly. There's deacons, there's Sunday school teachers, there's piano players. They're separated. Why? Because they're separated from the assembly. Three things reach out to somebody younger, reach out to somebody older. And reach out to somebody who's no longer a member. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you for all those individuals who aggravated me. It's because of that aggravation and that stimulation, Lord, that you used them to place me where I am today. And for that, Lord, I am forever grateful. I'm grateful, Lord, that in spite of everything I've done, 
You have never said that you're through with me. You have never said that you're done with me. And that you have continued to show me how mighty you are in spite of how wicked I've been. Father, help us to do the same for one another. We live in a time where discouragement is the last thing that we need. Help us, God. Consider, intentionally consider individuals and figure out, Lord, what it is that we need to do to stimulate them to love and good deeds. Father, for those who are separated from your assembly, I pray that you would use this congregation, that you would use this building as a place of rebuilding hope. Not hope in a people, Lord, because we will always fail, but hope in a Savior who despite all of our failures still continues to use us for His glory and for His purpose. Father, thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.